everybody else has said good morning too, and it's my second time up, so uh, good morning to, to y'all. Um, Sandy, that, thank you for sharing that. I've been to Athens, 1970. You weren't there then. I didn't see you. I, I, uh, and I also noticed that um, now Google Translation has taken over for speaking in tongues from Acts 2, because uh, this, this, is, this is really, uh, really good. But thank you for that report, and the Lord bless you as you, uh, as you go back and see if anybody there remembers me. <laughs> um, I set up the ice cubes here, and they're doing what they're supposed to do. And uh, we'll talk about those at the end of the sermon. You know, I, I feel like at, at Grace Free, like everywhere else, there's a spectrum about an attitude of humility. Now, humility is hard to preach on because you never know how God's going to work it. In other words, he may humiliate me and say he didn't do a very good job this morning. You know, I don't know how he's going to work it. But what I do have is I have some uh, sermon notes for the children have already been given them, and uh, they're, they're fill-in-the-blank kinds of things. And if some of you adults would like those, if you slip up your hand, this isn't the invitation at the end. This is just if you would like a copy of those, the ushers are ready to, uh, to give you a copy of those. It's, it's a fill-in-the-blank. It's basically the outline of the sermon with a fill-in-the-blank, and it might make it easier for you to, to follow along if you want, if you want that. If you don't, you can pick it up next week or however you want to do it. But I think he uh, went out to get them. So when he comes back in, I'll, I'll wave at you again. But this spectrum of humility, you know, some people are marinated in humility. Uh, when they get cut, they bleed the fruit of humility. And some people are humble on their good days. Okay, I, I had my devotions and I feel good and all's going well. And so I, I feel like I'm humble. And some people, shall we say, are humility challenged. I mean, is that a way to put it? Uh, some people, and, and I know at this group, it, it's only people out there. We're not, we're not talking about any of us in here, but it's people out there who are humility challenged. Uh, sometimes people act like jerks. I mean, it's just not humble at all. But again, those are the people who are out there. Humility usually gets a bad rap. Uh, we th when we think of humility, we think of meek and, and sissy and, and watered down and stepped on and, and the opposite of arrogant. I know anytime you go shopping, the shopper's advice will be, if you push past it, you'll get a better price. So you've got to do that. Now, who wants to be humble if that's what humble is? Who would want that? I'm not asking you to raise your hands. Okay. Who wants to be humble? Why should I be humble? Well, Scripture gives us um, several of them, uh, calls us to increase in humility. The Old Testament says humility is the characteristic of revival. Uh, Isaiah 66, verse 2, But this is the one to whom I will look. He who, this is God speaking. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God's watching for people who are humble. Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In uh, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, that Chris had us read earlier, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen one, ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, 
Put on humility, meekness, and patience. And then 1 Peter 5, 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God is against those who are proud. So our passage this morning is Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at the first 13 verses. And it's going to show us why we should want to grow in humility. We're going to see the greatest picture of humility that has ever been. And then we're going to look at what humility looks like to us at different levels and what it would take for us to grow in humility. So the passage begins, the first four verses, the ins- with the instruction. And the instruction is to be of the same mind. So if you will follow along, I'm reading from the uh, English Standard Version. Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. So if there is any, any, any at all, encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, if there is any, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look out, look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. This is a specific appeal that has been set up by chapter 1. It's the basis of what every Christian has gone through what every Christian has through the Spirit and through Christ. Uh, The church of Philippi, as we said earlier, has been planted by the Apostle Paul and Silas. Uh, Now Paul's in prison and he writes to address this uh, division that's happening between the two ladies sitting on opposite sides of of the service. And he writes to everyone. Everyone's included. That was the first 11 verses of chapter 1. And then he writes that we all have the same goal of the gospel, chapter 1, verses 12 to 30. And he concludes that with his appeal, chapter 1, verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of, to be put on the balance with the gospel of Christ, of one spirit and of one mind. And then he says, so now in chapter 2, this word any just, just continues to strike me. If you have ever had any any, any at all, encouragement in Christ. Now again, picture this, this letter being read in church. Have you ever had any encouragement because of, of your relationship in Christ? Any at all? If you've ever had any uh, comfort from love, from the love of Christ, from any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, let me ask you about the Philippians. Do you think that the Philippians will say, well, yeah, I, I've had some. I can't say I haven't had any. And how about us? Have we had any encouragement, any comfort, any participation, any affection, any sympathy uh, because of our relationship with Christ? Then he says, be of one mind. And his concern is not their joy, interestingly enough. His concern is make my joy complete. This unity would bring Paul, would complete Paul's joy. Well, let's define unity as Paul defines it here. In verse 2, he describes it's unity would be to have the same mind, to have the same love, to be of full accord, to be of one mind. And the Spirit wants this kind of unity in the church. The Spirit wants this kind of unity in marriages. 
The Spirit wants this kind of unity with friends. The Spirit wants this kind of unity with y'all of the body of Christ that Paul is writing to us. He's writing to this church. Well, what promotes or what encourages unity? Well, two times he talks about others. One of the ways that encourages unity is if you count others as more significant than yourselves. The other one is to look also to the interests of others. Well, what, what hinders unity? Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. What hinders unity is when we look only to our own interests. Now, I don't know if Paul knew inside information. Sorry, Mr. Pulpit there. I don't know if Paul knew any inside information about the, the lady over here and, and the lady over here, what was causing this. But as he's pretty specific in this, any broken relationship has at least one side with these attributes, that there, there's rivalry and there's conceit. Jesus explains that it's because of hardness of heart that any kind of separation or divorce happens. I had a, a cartoon in my office when, uh, when people would come in for marriage counseling, and, and the cartoon was uh, the man sitting in the chair and the woman sitting in the chair in front of the counselor, and each of them were wearing a sweatshirt that said, I love me. And the counselor says, I think I see what the problem is. Okay? They were looking out for their own interests, and that's what was causing the problem. And, and I found in marriage counseling, uh, 101% of the time, that's what the issue was. That it was that I love me, and I'm not thinking about the other person. So I put that cartoon right by the seats where they would sit when they would come in for counseling. So that, that's, the, that's the appeal. That's the, uh, and so now he goes to the illustration, and his illustration is verses 5 through 11. Have the mind of Christ. So verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. The purpose of the passage here is to call for the same kind of attitude as Jesus, because that will bring about unity. It shows how Jesus did not look for his own interests. He looked for the interests of others. And if Jesus... <laughs> Follow me on this. If Jesus was about his own comfort, and if Jesus was about avoiding pain, and if Jesus was about uh, an, an easy life, he, he would have stayed home. He would have stayed up in heaven. But what I did in, in trying to explain this, I looked up many diff or several different translations. And so let me read this to you. And I'll, so I'm going to read the passage, but I'm going to interject these different translations to help us understand what it is, what it's talking about here. He was in the form of God, or another translation, being in very nature God. Another one says, was like God in every way. Though he was God, he had equal status with God. And so what we're talking about here is the, is the Trinity. That there's Father, and there's Son, and there's the Holy Spirit. Three equal persons, but there's only one God. They are one in essence. So Jesus was a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's Jesus. So he's fully God, and he's recognized in all of heaven as fully God. Everywhere he went in heaven, they knew that's God the Son. So that's how he was recognized, that he was one with the Father and with the Spirit. But now Paul continues, Jesus did not count this equality with God a thing to be grasped. He did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. 
He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped or used for his own advantage or benefit. He did not demand and cling to his right as God. He did not cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. But the passage goes on, but he emptied himself. He made himself nothing. He made himself of no reputation. He set aside the privileges of deity, taking the form of a servant, a bondservant, the nature of a servant, assuming the form of a slave, the very nature of a servant. He became a servant. He was in the humble position of a slave. And being found in human form or born in the likeness of men, coming in the likeness of men, made in human likeness. He came as a man in his external form. He appeared in human form. He became human. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Obedient to God, even when it caused his death. He humbled himself even further besides becoming a human, and he he died a selfless, obedient death, even death on a cross. Dying a criminal's death on a cross, the worst kind of death, the crucifixion. So here's Jesus, God, equal with God, came to earth, and he, he looked like a human. If you met him on the street, you'd say, well, it's just an ordinary human. But he, had a, he looked like a servant human, and then he looked on the cross like a dead servant human, and because it was a cross, he looked like a dead servant criminal human. Do you see how far down Jesus humbled himself? So how high was Jesus? He was equal with God the Father as God the Son. He was recognized throughout heaven as God, at the baptism, the Father introduced him as, This is my beloved Son, whom I am, with whom I am well pleased. And how low did Jesus humble himself? Well, not only did he come from heaven to earth, he came from being equal with God to being a human. He came from being equal with God to being a servant human, a dead servant human, a criminal dead servant human. That's how far down Jesus came. I made three mission trips to Mongolia, Ulaanbaatar, the capital of Mongolia. No showers, no hot water, no mirrors. That was good. If you don't have a shower, uh, hot water, it's good to not have a mirror. Uh, I, I remember the first meal I had. We were we were doing some teaching with some training with some pastors over there, and and so we were all having a meal together, and they brought us a bowl of stew, and on top of the bowl was a glob of fat. Now, I'd like to say it was a golf ball size, but I think it was more like a tennis or a bowling ball size, okay, it was this glob of fat on the top of it. Well, my background did not include eating something like that, and so as the guys from Mongolia were around me and they saw me kind of eating around that, one of the guys said, uh, are you not going to eat that? And I said, uh, no. He says, can I have it? <laughs> For them, it was a delicacy, okay? So you talk about um, a 12-hour time change, never changed our watches, 12 hours time change, missing home, missing my family. And I say, look at this, look at the sacrifice I made in my missions trip to Mongolia for two weeks. That's nothing compared to the missions trip that Jesus went on. 
when he left all that he had equal with God the Father, and he came and was lived on this earth for 33 years. But now look at verse 9. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name. God has exalted him to the highest place, to the heights of heaven. God lifted him high and honored him far above anyone or anything and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, gave him the name, made his name greater than every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, in heaven and on earth and those long dead and buried, that every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every tongue will speak, will acknowledge, everyone will confess, everyone will bow in worship before this Jesus Christ and call out in praise that he is the master of all to the glorious honor of God the Father. So if we trace this journey of Jesus, he went from the highest above to the lowest below and back up to the highest above. And the result of that is that every person Every person, every person here, every person you will ever meet, ever meet, every person you ever hear on the news, on the sports, every person anywhere in any country, every person who has ever lived one day is going to bow down and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can I get an amen that that would be all right with you if that happens? I mean, that, that would be... Now, that's going to be a forced unity, and if we're humble like Jesus, we will practice for that day by uniting in worship and confession and submitting to Jesus. Now, there's two observations I make about this. One is, if I think I'm too important to be humble, look at Jesus. Look how great he was. But if I think I've gone far enough down in humility, look at how far Jesus went down. And that's what Paul wants us to look at. Because the point is that God took care of him. God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now, this, this is a very famous section on the deity of Jesus and the incarnation of Jesus, but the context of it is that it's an illustration of the attribute of humility that is needed to achieve the one mind in agreement in pursuit of getting out the message of the gospel. People will not understand the gospel, will not understand Jesus until we do. Our culture says, hey, I, I deserve this. There's a line, you'll, this goes back a while, but you deserve a break today. I mean, you, you deserve this. Uh, you, you, it's, it's my body, I've earned this. And as believers, to be like Jesus means to lay aside our rights in order to serve others. And the Bible says, if we will follow Jesus in serving others, God will make it right as we trust him to. So now, verses 12 and 13, the application of this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Not work for, Jesus did all of that. But if salvation is in you, work it out to show as Jesus with the fear of God uh, that will bring about humility. As God worked out what was the purpose and what was the best for Jesus, God will work in us both to will, to change what we want to do, and to change what we do for his good pleasure. 
Humility. What would my spouse say about my humility? She's not here. You can't ask her this morning, not this morning. Uh, what, what would people around me, what would people who work with me, what would they say about it? What would my neighbors, what, what would my kids say about it? But as we look at this humility on a spectrum, where, where, where am I? Every one of us are born with the default position of, of pride and arrogance. It's, it's just part of our sin nature that we're born with. But I, if you don't know this, God is committed, and those who are believers in Jesus Christ, God is committed to change us, to produce that humility. It's part of being saved. He wants us to be humble, and he will win. He will win that, and we're going to turn out to be like Jesus we're going to turn out to be humble like Jesus. I want to give you a little bit of a picture of a pyramid for humility. In a sense, it would be an upside-down pyramid. But, but as we think about different levels of humility, I, I want to understand that, there are, that our, our arrogance and our pride still rule, sometimes in us, but maybe it's even more in others. We need to be patient with people who continue to be arrogant and prideful. Because we don't know where they started. I think of it as, as going down steps. And if I would walk away from this microphone, I'd, I would go down the steps. Because some people in their lives, they've gone down the steps and they're more arrogant and more prideful than they were before. And maybe as we look at somebody and we say, oh, they're 10 steps down, we say, well, they're way down. Or we may look at them and we say, they're, they're three steps down. And we say, oh, dear, they're way down three steps we don't know that maybe they started out 10 steps down and they've walked all the way up to three steps down. What's important is not what step we're on. What's important is which direction are we going? Am I growing in, it almost sounds contradictory to say, am I growing in humility? Am I growing in, in being down? So the first level of the pyramid, in a sense, above, above land would be, I begin to become aware of my pride. I begin to see it in my life. I'm still defensive to protect myself, but I, I still want to take credit if good things happen, and I want to blame others if, if uh, not good things happen. Or as we listen to conversations, people who are oriented around themselves will, uh, if, if, <laughs> if one of us tells a story about our dog, the other person, instead of asking more questions, will tell a story about their dog. The conversation will go on back and forth like that. And it sounds like they're having a conversation, but they're really only having conversations with themselves with somebody else standing in front of them. Or obviously to talk about grandkids. I mean, I could talk about my grandkids. And if I talk about my grandkids, would you talk about your grandkids or would you ask me more about my grandkids? I think this, this first level has to do with we're just going to be oriented around ourselves. The body of Christ needs me. The body of Christ can't get along without me. That's this first level, and, and this is still going to be true of us as believers as we need to grow from there. The second level, this is where I would say I, I, I prefer humility. I know that I not only am part of the body, I need the body of Christ. I know it's God's way to be humble, and I want to pray for it. I want to ask questions about your story. I want to focus on you, and I want to listen and ask, what else happened? How did you feel about that? Oh, that would be so much progress in terms of marriage and parenting. Humility brings better communication and because there's so much more listening and caring about what the other person is saying. 
instead of defending. Three-quarters of my counseling, especially in marriage counseling, was trying to help them listen to each other and understand what each other was saying. I wish I'd had Google Translator for that, you know. The third level of humility is where we begin to think of others more than ourselves. Romans 12, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So here's Jesus. Even though he claimed he was one with God the Father, Jesus was humble. And what I mean by that is humility is not thinking less about ourselves, to to try to run ourselves down. Humility is thinking about ourselves less. Not thinking as much about ourselves, but thinking more about the other person. Humility says, I recognize my weaknesses. I bow in confession, knowing that I do not know it all, that I do not have all the answers. Humility also, though, will recognize these are what my strengths are. These are what your strengths are. And as we work together, the body of Christ can be built up. And I want to encourage you as you use your strengths for the good of the body of Christ or for the good of the spouse or the good of the, the, good, uh, the godliness of our children, the, the teammate who is in it to win no matter what their own uh, individual statistics are. Uh, that's more what we're talking about here. And the level four of humility, there's only one to reach that, and that's Jesus. That's Jesus. May we move closer to who Jesus is than where we are right now. Now, Do you want to guess what's happened to these ice cubes over the last two hours? Tell me. Some of them have melted. If I left it there for another hour or two, what would happen? There'd be no more ice cubes. There would just be water. Because they have lost their individual parts and they have melted into one. Do you see the picture here? Here's the connection. The connection is that Jesus wants us to witness by being one. And the way that we witness is by, by that, that unity, that, that oneness. And the secret of oneness is softness or humility. And that's what Paul's driving out here in this letter. And we're going to see it in the rest of the letter that humility is what he keeps picking up on even as he gives other illustrations. Humility comes when I say, huh, I was wrong. I was wrong, God. I was wrong. I'm sorry I did that to you, and I'm, I'm sorry about that. Would you please forgive me? Humility is the key for God to do his work in us personally and collectively. But I, I got to tell you, humility takes practice. It takes practice. It's not something that comes natural or easy for any of us. So I want to encourage you this week to look for ways to think of others first. Listen to it in conversations. Listen to what the other person is saying One of my favorite illustrations is God created us with two ears and one mouth, and we should take a hint. Does that reach the back row? You understand what I'm saying by that? Two ears and one mouth, take a hint. Listen twice as much as we we talk. Um, Let somebody else go ahead of you in line. Don't get upset if somebody cuts you off in driving. Bring the uh, shopping cart back. Park so other people have a better parking place than you do. I... uh, have been to churches, not this church, not our church, not where I was, where there's a sign right by the main door where it says pastor's parking place. That's where he's supposed to park. I had one too, and it was at the far end of the parking lot. And somebody would say, why do you park way out there? And I'd say, 
It's for exercise. And they thought it meant for my exercise physically. But it was my exercise spiritually to say, I want every single person who comes to church this morning, I want to serve them by making sure that every person who comes has a better parking spot than I have. One of my ways to remind myself going into church that I'm here to serve other people. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your grace. It's only by your grace that we're going to be able to be changed. We ask you to do that. You know the individual response for each one of us. If we're saying to you, we recognize that we have that pride and that arrogance still, but we want to be humble. We want to be more like Jesus. So would you do that work in us, we ask. I would ask you to do it graciously, do it uh, gently, uh, because we know that you have all kinds of ways to bring about humility in us. But may Jesus Christ be praised through our lives this week, we ask in his name.